James chapter 5. I hope you've enjoyed James. I certainly have, and it's wrecked my life, and it should wreck yours as well in a good way, and uh, the ways that we uh, need to align ourselves with the wisdom of God and conduct ourselves in a way that is worthy of His name. We studied the first few verses uh, last week of James chapter 5, and it addressed the rich. And I contended that by God's standard and by the, even by the world's standard, that you and I and everyone who sits in this room is rich. 50% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And, uh, and so we heeded the message to say, as followers of Christ who was so generous by laying down his life on the cross, then as followers of Christ, we should be marked by generosity as well. Our lives should be generous lives. And I think that was the message God would have us hear in the first part of that chapter, James chapter 5. But also, the, 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 the text was addressed to certain people who were coming against the church. And he was speaking to those rich people that were persecuting the church um, that James was a pastor of. Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was a very poor church. We saw um, through the book of Acts that Paul, as he went on his missionary journeys, was gathering collections from other churches that had started to send back to Jerusalem because they had no money, they had no means, and they were very, very poor. And unfortunately in that society, and many times today as well, the rich took advantage of the poor and were taking them to court and seizing their assets and taking their land. And, um, and so he was, he was, James specifically was speaking against those people that were doing that. And now as we get into our text today, beginning in, in verse 7, James is going to turn his attention from those rich people and address again the brethren to say, you who are under persecution, and certainly the church was, not just the church in Jerusalem, but the church at large in that day lived in far more persecution than you and I are, have ever seen. Some of the world around us, some of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world in the Middle East and various places have experienced some persecution but it still pales in comparison to what the first church was enduring in those days. And so he's going to address the church in the midst of trial and difficulty and hard times and tribulation. And I think the message for today will be for all of us so that we can glean something from it. But if you came in dragging today, just because of the weight of the world on your shoulders, because of the the season that you're in because of the difficult times and the trials, the, the hardship that you feel as though you're under, I think today is going to speak to your hearts because that's who he was specifically addressing. And we're going to talk today about something that none of us truly want to, <laughs> and that is the idea of patience. There's a saying in the church that, that, that goes around to say, don't pray for patience because God might give it to you. <laughs> and the way that generally God grows our patience is not the way that you... We just wish he'd lift the lid, you know? right? Just, just pop the can and pour some patience in. 
But that's generally not the way God works. <laughs> I'm low a pint on patience. God, could you help me out? It doesn't work that way. I don't know about you, but 2015, we're living in 2015. 2015. And blank, it'll be 2020. And the more we know, the, the greater knowledge increases the faster life gets, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you, are we, are, is, is it just me or is everybody experiencing that? That life is fast now. Well, as life, as the speed of life increases, the less patient we become. Do you notice that? Isn't that true? The, the faster life is, the less patient we are. You know, there, there used to be a time, and, and these, these young guys over here probably won't understand this. There used to be a time in life when we would sit at the dinner table, and if somebody asked a question that nobody knew the answer to, we left it that way. You know, who stole the most bases in 1981? Ricky Henderson, by the way. But uh, (laughs) who stole the, you know, and if nobody knew, okay. Now you get on a phone and you find the answer. Let me Google it, right? Google is a, a verb now. You know, and, and, and we, we have this information. The, f- the faster life gets, the less patient we become. Fast food isn't fast enough. They have to make two lines at McDonald's now. And I still don't understand how going from one line to two lines back to one line is any faster. It doesn't make sense to me, but evidently they figured out the logistics of it and whatever. 55 megabytes per second is too slow. How many people got angry this week waiting 18 seconds for a download, right? (laughs) Come on, you know? I don't have time for a 30-minute show, so I'll DVR it so I can skip the commercials, and my 30-minute show now is 24 minutes long. I saved six minutes there. We're concerned about six minutes. News? (laughs) We don't stay up to watch the news anymore. That's a whole half hour. You can click on Yahoo, click on CNN, click on Fox, and you get all the headlines in a blip. And that's all we really want. We don't want the whole story. So as long as I can read the headlines, I'm doing fine. That way, at least I sound relatively relevant at the water cooler tomorrow morning. We don't repair it anymore. We just get a new one. We've got Amazon. You don't, you don't even have to leave your couch to go Christmas shopping anymore. Click, 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 click. Do all your Christmas shopping. And that's not, fa- Amazon's not fast enough. So now you have Amazon Prime. You can get it even faster than that. And they're working on the drone so that they can use drones to ship it to your house. Right? The faster life gets, the less patient we become. I don't know about you, but I heard this phrase this week, and this describes my life to a T. We are living long days, and short years, right? You, at the end of your day, you are exhausted because you have spent every ounce of energy that you have, and you are just wiped out. Extremely long days, but extremely short years. I have a daughter that's going to start driving in a few months. (laughs) (laughs) And we're actually looking forward to that because, like, Thursday, I spent two and a half hours taxiing Two and a half hours straight taxiing people. So having a third driver in the house might actually be beneficial. There used to be a saying, good things come 
to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait. We don't have that saying anymore. Good things come to those who complain is the message of today. And if I just speak loud enough, if I yell from the back of the return line at Walmart, I'm going to get the attention the fastest. You know? Patience. We all need a good dose of patience. And it's not just so that we can deal better with the kids or that idiot at work. Or those, those are ancillary things to what patience are. Patience is the means in which God develops our character. And so, James is going to talk about that today. Here's our our working outline for today. Five areas um, that that we can fill in uh, with patience. Be patient, the first one. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Second, be patient... God is accomplishing something in you. Third, be patient with each other. Fourth, be patient. God's promises are true. And fifth, be patient with each other. No, seriously. (laughs) Be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other. Be patient, God's promises are true. Be patient with each other seriously. Here's our text, James chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. That's our text for today. Now let's break it down and see how it fits into the outline. First, be patient. The Lord is coming. Back up in verse 7. Verses 7 and 8 say, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Church, let's believe that. Let our lives reflect that the coming of the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming. He has promised to return as we spent a whole Sunday morning just three weeks ago talking about the rapture of the church. How glorious a thought it is to fix our minds on the fact and that and us fixing our minds on the fact that the Lord is returning enables us to grow in patience. He's coming. 
He's coming to take us home. This world is not our home. Jesus promised in John chapter 16, this world's going to have trouble. This world's going to have trial. This world's going to have, as he said, tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He is coming to take his bride home. He's promised that through John chapter 14. We read this, on, this little text on Wednesday night as we're studying the book of Isaiah. Speaking of the millennial kingdom, when Christ will rule here on earth, it says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and rebuke many peoples. They shall bear their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, and I would say, O Calvary Chapel, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's a day coming when Christ is going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And and his authority will not be questioned. There will be those that rise up against him, but just by his spoken word, things will be set into place. There'll be no need for weapons anymore. But what geeks me out, and I'm sorry it does, about this text is the fact that it says many will go to the the God of Jacob, to the house of the God of Jacob. We're going to, in that thousand years, we're going to pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and we're going to have the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and have him teach us the scriptures. That's better than Disneyland. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, To sit at the feet of Jesus and have him teach us his ways. What a glorious thought. What a magnificent thing. To look forward to, be patient, the Lord is coming. We celebrated, well, we remembered, not celebrated, we remembered 9-11 this week, 14 years ago. It's interesting to note, um, and you don't see this a whole lot anymore because hardly anybody gets the newspaper, but whenever they would have a a huge event to, to present in the press, Um, and to present in the newspapers, they would save a specific font for the biggest news. So for example, when World War II ended, you know, the the font read, the war is over in this big typeset. Um, When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, we've we've been hit. When we landed on the moon, man has landed on the moon. Even they used it on September 11th, 2001, as tragedy struck New York and, and Washington. You know what the name of that font is? It's called Second Coming Font. We're reserving it for probably naming it after the biggest event that this world will ever experience. The Second Coming of Christ. We look forward to that day. Be patient. Hear these words from the book of Revelation about what we have to look forward to. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words uh, are true and faithful. Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We have that to look forward to. So if we keep that in the forefront of our mind, that enables us to be a little more patient with our current lives. We read in 1 Thessalonians as we were talking about the rapture that these words, the Lord is returning, were supposed to be words of encouragement. And that is the fact because the truth of the matter is the bride of Christ has been waiting 2,000 years for His return. And so we need to continue to encourage one another. But I think we're close. You know, I know that we're close because time is lineal. And we're closer now than we ever have been before. If we wake up tomorrow, we'll be a day closer to His return. We're perhaps very close. Consider this from 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, Behold, or Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in which both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostle of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." So as we draw closer to the return of Christ, we're going to see an increase of people saying, well, where is he? And you know what? We see that today in many churches. Many churches now teach that he's not coming. That's just purely allegory. The return of Christ, the rapture of the church, those are all, they just mean different things. There are, it said, Peter says, there'll be scoffers in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. And we've seen that from the world for thousands of years, but now we're seeing it from the church as well. I believe the return of Christ is soon. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Second, be patient because God is accomplishing something in you. We get that from verse 7 also. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. The farmer understands that you don't plant a seed one day and go out the next and expect fruit. We tend to lose sight of that because we're not an aggregate society so much anymore, although that's making a small comeback. But we, we, we've lost the patience because we can go to Kroger and just pick up whatever we need. We don't have to wait for the animal to grow to an appropriate age that we can kill it to eat it. We don't have to wait for the, the crops to fully mature and, and go through their, their fruit-bearing time. We just go and get what we need. And so we 
lose sight of the fact that it takes time for things to grow, for fruit to produce. The farmer knows there'll be no fruit the day after the seed is sown. So be patient because the Lord is accomplishing something in you that just simply is going to take time. Some of the greatest missionaries of history devotedly spread the seed of God's word and had to wait long periods before seeing the fruit of their efforts. William Carey, for example, labored seven years before the first Hindu converted and was brought to Christ in Burma. Uh, Adoniram Judson toiled seven years before his faithful preaching was rewarded. In West Africa, it was 14 years before one convert was received into the Christian church. In New Zealand, it took nine years. In Tahiti, it was 16 years before the first harvest of souls began. I think about Chuck Smith, the man that started Calvary Chapel. He had to wait 17 years, serve patiently, diligently for 17 years, being bivocational, working a construction job to support his life in the ministry. He had to serve that time. It wasn't until his 17th year of ministry that he was actually able to go full-time into ministry. And you know why? Because art takes time. You're not a production piece. It's not God stamping a mold and I'm going to stamp out a billion of these in looking in the exact same way. If you want something that's... Remember in in Ephesians chapter 2, God calls us His poem. That's a, a, a work of art. That's a piece of art. And in order to get a piece of art right, it takes time. A true luthier, one who makes guitars, they don't just stamp them out and slap them together. It takes months for that to be accomplished. The painting of the Sistine Chapel didn't happen overnight. Art takes time. It's going to take time in you as well, because he is the grand master craftsman, molding and shaping us, chipping away those things that need chipped away at making sure that our clay is soft so he can mold and shape us. And sometimes it builds it up, he builds us up and it just, it, it's not quite right. So he'll bring us back down and start again. We've seen the example. We've had John Thomas come and do the, the clay, the potter. And it's the water that continually allows the clay to be moldable and shapeable. Just like the, the Spirit of God in our lives allows us to be moldable and shapeable. Art takes time. God is the master craftsman. Our character is developed in walking through trials. That's just the way it is. It's the crucible. It's the fire that pulls the dross that purifies the gold and the silver. It's the the heat of the fire that allows the steel to be malleable. Be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. Growing you up in Him. God's Will can't be accomplished by spiritual infants. We need to mature. We need to grow in Him. And that takes time. Third, be patient with each other. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Do not, do not, do not. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
we, we need to be graceful toward one another. We need to display and, and practice patience with one another because we're all in different spots on this journey that we call sanctification. We're all in, in different maturity spots, and we recognize that some people are ahead of us and some people are behind us, and some people are having to exercise more patience with us, so we should exercise more patience with those that need it. You ever notice as you're driving 270 or whatever, the people going faster than you are idiots and the people going slower than you are just stupid? You're the perfect driver in your own mind. Do you recognize that? But while you're saying that about other people, people are saying that about you. Err on the side of grace. That's the Chuckism that we've practiced and I, I love to practice here. Err on the side of grace. If somebody is in need of patience, err on the side of grace. Don't bring the hammer down. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. You guys don't like this verse. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things. All means mostly, right? Without so much, just a little complaining is okay. No. To walk through this life, grumbling and complaining is a direct offense against the God on high. Because what you're saying is, God, you're not doing a good enough job with my life. And we learned last week that if we have clothing and food, with that we shall be content. And everything else is a luxury in this life. And most often we're least patient because our luxuries have been interrupted. Right? The Wi-Fi goes out. (laughs) Ten years ago, nobody knew what Wi-Fi was. (laughs) He said, I still don't. (laughs) It's okay, Dave. We'll be patient with you. <laughs> be patient with each other. I heard a conversation recently of two moms talking about their kids. And they were just grumbling, complaining to one another about how their kids do this and that. Be patient with one another. Why? Because God has been patient with us. Consider Matthew chapter 18, one of the chapters I use for premarital counseling. The story of the servant who owed so great a debt to his master that he couldn't repay it. And so he begged the mercy of his master and the the master gave him mercy. He forgave him of this massive debt, a lifetime of debt, something that he would never be able to repay. His master forgave it. And then the servant went out to another servant and said, you owe me a day's, a day's wages. It was a little more than that. It was closer to a year's wages, but it was a manageable debt. Pay up today. And when the, the other servant said, I, I can't pay you, then he threw him in jail. The idea is that as we look at all that God has forgiven you and I of, as I look at what God has forgiven me of in my life, then certainly I can... I can extend grace, I can be patient, I can love somebody in the way that Christ has loved me when they sin against me. There is no way that another person has offended you as much as you have offended God. So we need to extend. 
grace and be patient. <laughs> Line from the band The Supertones from back in the 90s when ska was popular. Song Adonai. He simply said, if your eyes are on the Lord, you can't see nobody's hair. I love that line. If, you're, if your eyes are fixed on him, you're not going to worry about what the next person looks like or, or acts like. If you're, if you're fixed on him and you're cons- consumed by his mercy and grace, when that person steps against you, it's okay. We err on the side of grace. Right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, uh, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before you and I, that day coming, the day of the Lord. That's our joy. That's the thing that we have to look forward to. Christ would encourage us to take up our cross and follow him daily. Be patient with one another. Fourth, be patient because God's promises are true. No amen there. All right, thank you, Sebastian. That's the automatic. But God's promises are true. Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. James is using the book of Job as an encouragement. (laughs) Have you considered Job? Have you considered all that he walked through? Consider the first three chapters and how horrible his life was. I, I don't know the timeline. I don't know how quickly it, it occurred. It seems as though as he's writing it, it's in the matter of a day or, or a few days that he has his entire prosperity taken from him. Everything he owns ripped from him, including his seven kids, all of them dead. And that's why Job's the example, because I know that you've been through hard times, and I don't want to belittle your hard times, but ain't nobody lost everything, including their seven kids in this room. And what does Job say? Naked I came from this world, naked I shall go. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Satan, Satan then, the, or the accuser then goes before God the Father, once again, that was, the whole scene was that um, you know, the accuser had, had been given permission by God to take everything from Job. And, 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 jo- and he sees Job still praising the name of God after everything is taken. And so the accuser goes back before God and says, well, you know, and, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? He listened to him. He's, he's singing praise songs down there. And Job, or the, the accuser says, of course he's praising you. He still has his health. If he didn't have his health, surely he would curse your name. And so God gives him permission. And consider that for a minute. This is the accuser of the brethren. The Hollywood would try to play this dualism of good versus evil. And, and the accuser has to ask God permission. He's a dog on a leash. And God says, go ahead, take his health too. And so oh, the only thing God, that Job has left is his wife, which wasn't a good thing. <laughs> because 
He then, the accuser then inflicts him with an illness that causes boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I don't know if you've ever had one boil. Ain't fun. Pus and gross. Sore. Don't, don't get near it. Imagine, and he, he breaks a, a, a pot and he takes the clay of the pot and starts scraping his skin to get the pus off of him. And his wife comes and says, you still have your integrity? Curse God and die. That's why it wasn't such a good thing that his wife was still there. And he doesn't. Have he considered the patience of Job? How could that be encouragement? Well, because of how Job ends. And if you were to read the whole book, and the recommendation that Dave gave me years ago that I give to you today is when you read the book of Job, you read it in one sitting. It takes about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. It's 42 chapters, something like that. But it's designed to be read at one time. And it's, it's a beautiful story. Because yes, he begins in hardship and pain and, and wondering what's going on. He has three friends that lead him in, in any direction but the right way. A wife who nags him, you know, that's what Job is thinking, he's scraping himself, just what I need, is you're nagging. But the end is that Job receives twice as much as what he had. That, That God restores to him and then adds more. And please, don't twist this into the prosperity gospel. To say, well, if I, just, if I give everything up for the Lord, He's going to give me twice back what, he, what I had to begin with. Because the truth of the matter is, it may not happen in this life that God would restore what has been taken from you. See, it's after the, the personal and intimate conversation that God has with Job. God gets in Job's face. Where were you? Right. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you? And, and Job kind of gets humbled. But it's after that intimate relationship, intimate moment with God. And it may be that after our intimate moment, when we see Him face to face, that's when all will be restored. All will be made right. The crooked will be made straight. The rough places plain. The high places low. The valleys brought high. All will be made right when we're in His presence. Hear this, and I really think this is the, the, the crux of what we I wanted us to hear today. At some point in our Christian life, and let me say it this way, at some point in your Christian life, God will lead you into a time where you're going to have to choose between the feelings you have because of an experience and the truth of God's Word. You're going to walk through a time where you feel like nothing lines up with what God has said. I'm overwhelmed. I'm drowning in this place. I'm angry. I'm upset. And the experience justifies my feelings. And at that point, you're going to have to choose. Do I trust my feelings? Or do I trust God's Word? God's going to bring us to that. Which is the greater reality a la Job. Job didn't understand that God had given the accuser permission to wreck his life. And yet he trusted in the Lord. 
which is the greater reality? You're going to get an opportunity in your Christian life to prove Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He shall direct your paths. You're, you're going to go through an experience that it just seems so overwhelming that you're going to have to make a choice to say, I don't understand this, Lord, but I'm going to trust in You. And it's in that moment when we choose God's promises, even above our own experience, that is when we grow in patience. That is when we mature. Fifth, be patient with each other. Seriously. Verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And the idea here is that we would live such a simple, honest life that we wouldn't have to back up our word with a promise. Swear on a stack of Bibles, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. <laughs> Just simply, if you say yes, then it comes to pass. The Levitical law, which required an oath, you were to swear on God, that's fulfilled in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Christ fulfilled the law. In Him, we are made whole. So we should live our lives just letting our word be the truth. Patience. He's maturing us. He's growing us. Consider James chapter 1 as we began the book, now as we are close to the end, where James says, Can count it all joy, my brethren, whenever you suffer trials of any kind, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, develops patience. God uses, and that's the beauty of being in the relationship with Jesus Christ, is that God uses our difficulties for our good, to grow us up in Him, to become more mature, to become more patient. So, as we align ourselves with the wisdom of God, setting aside the wisdom of this world, we will grow in patience because the Lord is coming. We will be patient because we know that God is accomplishing something in us. We will be patient with each other, less grumbling, more serving. We will be patient because God's promises are true. We'll be patient with each other. Seriously. Now, I want us all to make sure that we understand you can't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and decide in this moment that you're going to be more patient. It doesn't work that way. You don't have the strength. But what's interesting is that one of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. 
And so as we fall more in love with him, as we press more into our God, as we pray and ask the Lord to send his spirit into our hearts and into our lives, the fruit that will come of that in time is patience. We'll bear with one another in love. We will recognize that God is molding us and shaping us, and we won't want to skip the trial. We'd rather walk through it as long as we know that we're walking with our God. Because there's a day coming in which the Lord is going to return. And then there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain. The former things have all passed away. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Let's strive to grow in this. Let the master craftsman have his way in our lives because he's patient with us. Let's be patient following him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our lives. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, Lord. You are molding us and shaping us. And Lord, us with a short fuse is not an accurate representation of the love that you have for this world. And so I pray that you would mold us and shape us, Lord. I pray that we would become a more patient people, patient with our brothers and sisters, patient with the people of this world. Lord, forgive us for thinking that the world should act like us. Patient with you, Lord, as you work inside of us. Have your way. Lord, we, we can't see what's happening in the spiritual realm. We don't know the, the leash that our accuser has been given to come into our lives to show us where we need to grow in patience. But I want to count it joy when I suffer a trial, Lord. And I can't do that in my own strength. The Holy Spirit, fall on us. Grow and mature us, Lord. May we pursue you all of our days. For you are worthy of all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.